feel like someone just walks in. <laughs> like, no, you're not sitting inside of a bacon casserole. You're listening to the Red Ramen. <laughs> Welcome to the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast, the podcast where we talk about murder, mystery, and mishaps. And fuck, man, yeah, we're we're doing it mishap style this episode. My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. <sighs> and it's Halloween. It's Halloween and it's a special edition episode. Halloween special on special treats. So if it sounds funky, that's why. <laughs> Hopefully this comes out. Hopefully this actually makes the uh, radio waves, you know? Yes. Take us, waves. Take us to this story because fuck, mine's uh, creepy. Ooh, mine is too. I mean, it's just creepy and it kind of sucks that you've like... You know what it is, because yeah. otherwise I'd say, like, you'd love it and blow your mind, but you've heard it. <laughs> I haven't heard of it in a while, though, so I'm excited for you to tell it to me. Cool. And we can talk about it, because obviously I've heard about it. Yeah. yeah it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't even know how we're doing this thing, so, like, who goes first? I don't know, Maine. Uh, let's cheers our mimosa and rock, paper, scissors, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Our special mimosas. <laughs> mm. Looks like the blood of our... Uh... Of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a... mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it's hard to be funny sometimes. Yeah, mm. well, I don't know. Obviously, Kristen is making a special appearance in New Mexico, mm-hmm. and we had some fun last night, and we're going to have fun tonight. But it, now it's time to get down to business. And so now we're both kind of like, wow, oh, how we do have, we act? We have person? to be serious somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Three. Do we go on three? I like doing it on three. So one, one two. paper, scissors. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. Damn. <laughs> Wait, so, does that mean I? I don't know. You pick, like whatever. You know what? I'm gonna go first because I don't know how I'm gonna feel in about an hour. <laughs> I don't want to risk it on me. I'd rather risk it on you. So okay, let's just do my thing first. So today we're getting to the demon side of the realm if you will the more spiritual side because i'm going to be talking about ouija boards hell yeah mm. have you ever uh, played with one fuck no i have not and you <laughs> can't you will not make me you cannot like no money in the world i think will get me to play with one and i'm, I'm like yeah you'll find out why yeah yeah i played with one like once hell no did you experience anything no 
you did it wrong yeah probably <laughs> that's a good thing though you don't want spirits you know like haunting you for the yeah, rest of your I'm life yeah I'm down for that to not have them not haunt me but yeah, so it's, it's uh, like one of those episodes, you know, I'm going to talk about a little bit of history just so we can like understand it. And then, yeah, I'll, the ending will be the good old fucked up stuff. Hell so. yeah. So like any good paper, you know, it's hard to get the 100% facts. Like I couldn't find exactly when this whole Ouija board thing started, but the closest answer that I could find was 1891. At least that's when we started capitalizing off of this thing. Yeah. So in February of 1981, you would have advertisements pop up all over fucking papers around the world. Around the States, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got a little excited. But Pittsburgh, you know, would say that it is a magical device. It answers questions of the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy New York would call it something that is interesting and mysterious and fairly cheap, maybe in that time. I don't know. It was They would only sell it for $1.50. Wow. So, like, I'm like, wow. But I, back then, I'm like, maybe that was, like, normal toy price. Yeah, know? like a know. normal board game yeah. price, maybe. But it's also, like, a piece of wood. I'm like, how expensive could you make that? Right. But f- well, for those who don't know, yeah. So, an Ouija board is a flat board. You can really make it out of anything, but how it's sold is really with that wooden little board. And it has the alphabet on top along with two circles that say yes or no. And then it has numbers in between that. And then it will have goodbye at the bottom. And it's always accompanied by a planchette, which is just like this wooden little tear pointer device that has a circle around the middle. And you can use it to go across the board. And the whole notion of it is that... You ask the spirits, you and another person, to, you know, move my fingers and place this on top of the letter and you communicate with the dead. And, like, yeah, that was probably a really shitty description, but, like, that's <laughs> Google it if you're really that curious. But it's, like, what it is. It's very nice. Yeah, you ask questions and the spirit answers by moving the, what do you say, pecket, whatever it's Plan- called. I planchette. I'm planchette, pretty sure uh, that's how you say it. Yeah, to reveal an answer to the question yeah and they would really uh you know advertise this as a very light-hearted child's toy what? which i'm like fuck no hasbros it's not oh my god so in 1992 you have this guy named robert merch that is kind of you know asking what i was a- asking and you know like where did ouija boards fucking come from man like oh, yeah. what why did they suddenly just appear and why does no one really know the origin behind it? It's fucking random. Right. So he decides to go in and start looking for these these answers. From what he could gather, he found that the Ouija board was basically uh, like a product of the spiritualism movement. Okay. So that makes sense. the whole thing, like, and a really popular example of this would be the Fox sisters. Mm-hmm. So for those that don't know, they were these really famous sisters that could communicate with the dead by tap means of like tapping. So they would go through the alphabet and when the spirit got on whatever letter they wanted to use, they would hear a cracking noise, which 
if it's fucking time, it sounds time consuming and it was apparently like not a very quick method to talk to the dead. So when this whole spiritualism movement came with the Fox sisters, you got this sudden need that like, we want to talk to the dead and we want to talk to them now. Like, Mm. come on, Verizon. 5G is not fast (laughs) enough for me. You got to pick it up a little bit. So the idea behind this board that you know the spirit would just be able to move it to whatever letter rather than you going through everything every single time right sounded pretty good so there are slight and spoiler alert the fox sisters did not communicate with the dead they fucking cracked their toes so yeah (laughs) so it's um there are some rumors that you see i believe I'm not even going to guess the year because it's really not coming to my brain right now. But there were some rumors in the past that there was a spiritualism camp in Ohio that would use these sort of, you know, boards to communicate with the dead. Though I believe they called them talking boards. So it wasn't the term Ouija. Yeah. But like it hadn't, I guess, blown up until 1890 when this dude, Charles... Kennard, I guess basically maybe hears a rumor like this or he looks to himself and he goes, you know, someone can make a lot of money doing that. (laughs) People really want to talk to the dead and there's actually like this particular niche that no one has entered in. Like the market's open. So me being a white man in 1890, (laughs) I'm going to fucking capitalize off of that. Break it in, baby. USA. 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 So in 1890, Charles, along with four other investors, who none of them were spiritualists, by the way. None of them. They were all just like business bros. (laughs) Business bros. (laughs) I believe, I do say later on, um, I know that one of the investors, like his sister is super into spiritualism, but like none of them, they don't practice it. They yeah. don't know anything. They're yeah. just like me. So they <clears throat> they just uh, discover the need, and yeah. So it's two investors. Two of the investors' names were Elijah Bond, who was a local attorney, and uh, what's C O L like Colonel? Yeah, Colonel. Okay, and then a surveyor named Colonel Washington Bowie. And like I said, one of the investors, it was Elijah's sister-in-law, actually. Her name was Helen Peters, and she was really into spiritualism, and she is actually the reason behind the name of the board. Oh. So, supposedly, Helen is a super, super strong medium. And they would describe that they were sitting there and they would ask the board, you know, what do you want your name to be? (laughs) (laughs) And the board would spell out Ouija, O-U-I-J-A. And when they would press further, you know, like, why do you want to be named that or what made you think that? The board would simply respond, good luck, (gasps) and then left the conversation. Okay. But I do, which I love, good origin story. But I do have to point out that it's so it's a fact that Peter did acknowledge at some point that his sister in law Helen was wearing a locket of that had a photo in it of a woman named 
Odia, and she was a famous author and woman's rights activist. But supposedly the name was like misprinted in the photo and it spelled Ouija. Oh. Yeah. And so I guess that's like another thing that could really be behind the name. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Another really interesting story behind the Ouija board comes with, uh, comes when the group tried to get a patent for it. Because in order to get a patent, the group had to be able to show that the board actually worked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It could actually talk to dead spirits. Right, because they advertise it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta make sure it's legit. So the chief patent officer would demand a demonstration and basically tell the dudes this board needs to spell out my name, which supposedly uh, I two it was only I think two of the investors that went and I forget which one, but I know uh, maybe Charles. I don't know. It sounds right. Maybe it was Charles. Who knows? But like one of the investors. What was I saying? One of the investors. I have no idea. <laughs> One of the investors... Spell my name. Yeah. One of the investors um, was like, you know, we have no... We, this is your first time... <laughs> <laughs> so the chief patent officer, he's like, spell my name. <laughs> I know. He's like, spell my name. You don't... Uh, none of y'all know how to spell my name. Valid. Cool supposedly though like who knows because maybe they did like i don't know if that was something that you could look up in the 1800s well it's like did they not know his name well yeah but maybe it was like a hard name to spell you know like if i like bartholomew yeah (laughs) like bartholomew (laughs) exactly (laughs) but um when the chief patent officer was like, get this thing to spell my name, the investors were like, yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> and so the, they went to the board and the board apparently like spelled the name right. And so the chief patent officer was like visibly shaken and like shitting bricks. And he's like, okay, here's the patent now. Get the fuck out of my place. And, you know, on February 10th of 1981, the patent would be handed out and people would have a brand new toy to play wow. with. <laughs> All I can think about is, um, like, I didn't really connect the dots in Stranger Things when Will's mom creates the, she writes the letters yeah, on the wall with yeah. the light. It surprisingly took me a second. Um, so, to obviously speak with Will. And so, that is very, obviously, he wasn't, like, dead or whatever, but... It's very, it's basically a Ouija board, you know? Yeah. And I didn't even think of that. And like, obviously you can buy a Ouija board, but... You can make them. Yeah, you can make them out of whatever. Like one of the stories that I get into, they make it out of such random objects around the room. A piece of paper and a pen right there. (laughs) Hell no. Do not even... No. No. Blake would kick us out if he caught us playing with Ouija board. I would kick us out if I caught us <laughs> playing with that. That's no, no joke. No, she's no joke right there. Of course, the first patent gives no explanation as to how this thing actually works oh. or like what it necessarily does. <clears throat> but the ambiguity and the mystery behind it was kind of like what drew everyone in. They were like, ooh, shiny, mysterious toy. 
But, you know, in the end, it <laughs> kind of sucks because... Because no one can win. <laughs> well, no one can win. And it was just like, ultimately, it was a moneymaker. And that's like, in the people's eyes, they didn't care of the consequences that were to come. Because there's definitely some that follow. I'll list them. But yeah. they just really liked the money aspect of it. And, you know, it's... We are a crazy bunch. And unfortunately, it fucking worked because a uh, fun fact not so fun fact in at, at some point throughout the sales of Ouija boards it outsold Monopoly oh shit which in the fucking late 1800s early 1900s that is uh no easy feat like but it only got patented patented uh-huh. in the 80s <laughs> in the 91 yeah 91 mm-hmm. yeah but yeah, impressive. <laughs> impressive. I know what you're saying, like the 1800s. Well, like, late 1800s, because it was 1891. Oh, That's right. I thought you were talking about 1991. No, and then early 1900s. <laughs> ah. Oh my gosh. So this will right. be our last special treat. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Um. But yeah, so like literally they were fucking selling like fucking hotcakes. It, it was... <laughs> Scary, scary how uh, we just do that, you know? It, and the company would expand. They would even go international in 92, 1892. Um, But then the original investors, I believe Charles and two or three of the other ones dipped out in uh, 1893. And they left it in the hands of a man named William Fund, who was a employee for them and also held stock for them beforehand. And he would stay running the company until 1927 when he died in a freak accident after he fell off the roof of a new factory that the board had supposedly told him to make. (gasps) Yeah. And it's, I didn't put any of this in, but there was definitely a lot of drama when William took over between like, I know there was a lot of bickering, um, not that William ever took credit for inventing the board, but I feel uh, like the New York Times apparently had like called him the inventor of the board. Uh, so I don't know if that made other people jealous, even though he, that wasn't necessarily him doing anything. That was just people yeah, associating, yeah, yeah. associating his, his title with inventing the product. But there was definitely because one of the investors did end up staying, I think, the whole pretty much his entire time, like until he died. I think maybe <laughs> at least until he was really old. And so it there was just like a lot of drama behind it, but we don't really care about that. We care about the crazy shit that happened once the Ouija boards was. Oh, yeah. So let's get into that because fucking shit, man. It would not take long for people to realize that, you know, this is not a fucking child's toy. It should not be three and up more like never end up. <laughs> Because there was a Southern Californian town named El Cerritio, Cerrito, (laughs) (laughs) called El uh, Cerritio, and it would make headlines, national headlines, because on March 7th in 1920, the town descended into madness. The whole town? Pretty much. Oh, shit. Police would arrest seven people. Because they stripped naked, 
and were acting mad. And they were carrying a Ouija board around, <laughs> basically like saying the Ouija board telling me to do it or oh, like, yeah. I know the truth. <sighs> and over the next several days, everyone in the town would pretty much follow suit. They, one of their own police officers joined into the hysteria. He would strip off, ooh, sorry. He would strip off his uniform and run into a local bank screaming. Oh. There was a 15-year-old girl that also undressed and ran out in public oh. just screaming. And because so many people were becoming so mad, town hall officials had to bring in truckloads of mental health specialists <gasps> so that they could examine all 1,200 members of the town. Oh, my God. They were, I mean, like, everyone was going mad. And basically what the professionals said, in their opinion, they're like, this is just a case of shared hysteria. Hmm. And... You know, like, that's... People just are feeding off of their own crazy. Right. So, the city government was like, okay. Ouija boards are banned. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't... I don't know if, like, to this day you can't buy them in that town, but um, within that town... Town limits cannot own it, cannot sell it, like, can't have it. Because people went fucking crazy. 420. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it? <clears throat> that's crazy that the whole town the was whole like... <laughs> fucking town I can just picture it like the madness I know it's fucking I was real shocked when I heard that one the first recorded suicide that happened because of a Ouija board was said to occur in May of 1900 there was a woman by the name of Sarah Elizabeth Griffin who ended up taking her own life with a poison stride she took poison okay maybe she died from poison um she was a former prominent methodist church worker and had actually recently converted to spiritualism because of her recent obsession with the ouija board and according to an article from the boston daily globe as she lay dying she gave her husband an ominous message (sighs) papa forgive me (gasps) But it was to be. They came tonight and told me I should not delay. This night they wanted me. I have done it and will soon be with them. Oh, how glad I am that I have been called. They kept calling and calling, saying tonight, tonight. They were relentless and said it was decreed that I should leave at once. So I have merely obeyed the summons. But you will not be alone long, dear, for I shall come for you soon. Yes. Sooner than you realize. <gasps> oh, goosies. <laughs> if you said that to me while you were dying, I would quicken your death. Yes. Uh, like, okay, <laughs> hush, hush there. Get some rest. Close Here's your the eyes. pillow <laughs> over your face. Please, no more. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, in 1921, you would have a, another news article. The New York Times report that a Chicago woman... Was being sent to the psychiatric hospital because in 1921, you would have another news article, the New York Times, report that a Chicago woman who was being sent to a psychiatric hospital, probably for good reason, would explain to her doctors that, no, (laughs) no, she wasn't suffering from mania. 
she was suffering from spiritualism. Oh, <laughs> it was it was the spirits from her Ouija board that told her that she needed to leave her mother's dead body in the living room for 15 days before <gasps> burying it in the backyard. Oh, yeah, totally. Yes. <sighs> you go spiritualism. My goodness. You'll, you'll, yeah. You see that uh, mental illness actually does play a lot into a lot of the things I'm about to say next. Unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. In 1935, you would have a man shoot his wife four times in the back. He would be arrested at the time of the incident. But it's not exactly what it appears because the 78-year-old husband would describe that he was in a rather stressful relationship with his wife because she liked to consult with her Ouija board. And she came up to him one day and she was like, my Ouija board is telling me that you're cheating on me with the neighbor. (laughs) And obviously he'd be like, no, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> well, I didn't know if it was that obvious. I was like, was the board right? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. But over the course of several weeks, she would tie him to the bedpost <gasps> with wires oh. and whip his body with knotted ropes. Oh, my God. She would also wound him with a burning poker and stab him in the shins with a knife. Oh, talk about shin splints. Oh, oh, fucking God, Sarah. <laughs> you're done. You're done. <laughs> and your mic's going on mute. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's like he, of course, is like, yes, I slept with the neighbor, but I'm like, <laughs> Can you blame him for saying that? I think at that point you would say anything to maybe not have that. Yeah, it's either the it all stops or you die. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, when he confessed, she. Oh, sorry, I I met, I left out a detail. He confessed when she put a gun, a loaded gun, to his head. Oh yeah, and okay. was like, yeah, did you sleep? With... And he was like, yes, of course, yeah, okay. And so when she he confessed, he was like, cool. She, the, the wife was like, yeah, cool. Freed him. So obviously terrified, the husband, like, took the gun and shot the wife in the back. Oh, my God. Four or five times. So, <gasps> four or five times. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah he was very bothered. Yeah, four times in the back. <laughs> Yeah. He was annoyed. (laughs) He had just gone through several several weeks of torture. I think anyone would be rightfully annoyed. But, so, yeah. Yeah, when that happened, you know, um, the courts would say, yeah, that's a little... I wouldn't say justifiable, but... It's, like, almost like self-defense in a way. Self-defense with a tad bit of overkill, but then it's, like... (laughs) I mean, you really don't know how many times it would take to kill someone, maybe how many shots. I don't know. So ultimately, the courts would be like, you know, we're not going to send you to jail because it's like within reason, I guess. Like you, you weren't in the Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like cold blooded murder. Yeah. In 1995, you have a London teen named Michael McCallum who had lured in a younger boy whose name was Michael Eridge. Eridge, I think. 
And he lured Michael in basically by telling him that, hey, do you want to play with a Ouija board? <laughs> and being the young kid that he is, he's like, fuck yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So when they started playing, at some point, it's unclear what the question was, but we do know that the board spells out K-I-L-L, <gasps> kill. Now, as soon as Irridge sees this, he freaks out rightfully and is like, I need to get out of here. But before he can flee, Matt Callum stabs him to death under the belief that it was Satan that told him to do so. Oh, my God. Matt Callum would end up uh, accepting a manslaughter plea and ends up serving time in a mental hospital. Hmm. Some more recent ones, I guess you could say. It's not really recent because what the fuck? We're getting old. Mm. So in 2001, you have 53-year-old Carol Sue L. Vacker, who was playing Ouija board with her brother, or sorry, with her daughter, Tammy, and Tammy's two daughters. While they're playing, a message comes through that Tammy's husband, Brian, is in fact evil and needs to be killed. What the hell? Like, you can't... And it's like, when you're asking the board a question, you're not supposed to ask it, like, complicated questions. You're not going to sit there waiting for it to spell out, like, yeah, three sentences. Yeah, a whole last sentence. Um, so it just makes me wonder the questions they're asking to get right? this, to these conclusions, you right? know? Like, they must have been asking, is my husband evil? Yeah, because and that's... And they say yes. Because like, how do you derive from that? Yeah. Like, it must be... It needs to be a specific question. It can't be, like, super generalized. I don't even know. Like, you can't be like, can you tell me something? And they, they're randomly like, your husband's evil. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they spelled, like, Brian evil. Maybe. Just don't know. Well, we do know, though. Carol would get up and stab Brian in his sleep. And then out of fear that her granddaughters had this evil that had festered in Brian would turn the knife on one of her granddaughters. As Brian bled to death, I don't know why they necessarily got in the car with her, but Tammy and the two granddaughters would get into the car with Carol at which point, Carol proceeded to run the fucking car off the road. Because, oh. of course, she would. Well, it's, it's like, I don't, I really got confused as to why the daughter and granddaughters got in the car with her. Yeah. But I, I mean, we weren't there, so who knows. Thankfully, the car crash only caused minor injuries. But then Carol, like, fucking would decide that she's going to try and push one of her granddaughters into the traffic. <gasps> The nerve. Ultimately, Carol was ruled insane and she was committed into a psychiatric hospital. I mean, I guess. What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> what can you do? Like. <laughs> so here's a fun one. Ooh. Sitting next to your best friend. Yay! <laughs> In 2012, a teenage boy from West Laco, Texas. Mm. stabbed his longtime friend in the abdomen. Oh, no. The friend thankfully survived. Okay. Albeit it took a lot of days and intensive care for him to get better. Mm. I mean, like, physically better, I guess you could say. Yeah. 
So when they asked why the teen did it, he would say, the Ouija board made me. Oh, of course. At the time, the police spokesman, J.P. Rodriguez, would say that, you know, he actually did believe that the Ouija board had advised him. And he would ultimately end up playing insanity, though due to his age, obviously, like his name's not released or yeah. anything like that. The Ouija board even is a detective. Oh. Because in 1994, there's actually a trial for the gruesome double murder of Harry and Nicola Fuller that was solved when the four jurors asked the Ouija board who did it. (gasps) Oh, my God. That could not have been. Oh, my God. Okay. So during their overnight stay at Brighton's old ship hotel... The jury team basically had to, like, be stay there overnight, so they were locked, couldn't have, you know, any yeah. TV, any media presence, blah, 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 jury shit. And one of the jurors, uh, Adrian, who was 24 at the time, spoke about how four other jury members had gathered around a piece of paper and a hotel room glass of wine <laughs> and started con- to consult with who they believed was the spirit of Harry Fuller, the man that had died. One of the jurors, Ray, would ask, you know, who killed you? And the board would spell out Stephen Young, which is the man who was on trial at the time. And when they asked how, the board would reply shot. The couple had, in fact, been found dead with Nicola being shot three times and Harry being shot uh, in the back at close range. So the stir- the jurors are kind of like shocked. I don't obviously someone could be playing a joke, but to them I guess they made it seem like it was really serious and yeah. one was moving the board. And they're kind of asking what they should do. And the board decides to spell out vote guilty tomorrow. Oh wow. After seeing this, some of the jurors would cry while others would say later that, you know, they had gone too far at that point. Either way, the four would agree that they wouldn't tell anyone because they, not all the jury members were there. Some of them were still asleep. And I believe Adrian, like, wasn't a part of the group. He was probably just, like, awake and creeping on them. Oh. And they would, of course, vote Stephen guilty the next day, I believe. Or after, at the end of the trial, they would find him guilty and he would be sent to, I believe it was, like, a life prison sentence or whatever. But within the next couple of weeks, this is headline news that these juror members used a fucking Ouija board to get this guy a guilty verdict. And because of this, you know, that's a total not... Conflict. Yeah, (laughs) a total conflict of interest. So uh, they ended up having to have a retrial. Oh my God, of course. And after a five-week hearing in December of 1994, the jury would again find Stephen Young guilty, this time without the help of spirits, (laughs) and he would be sent to jail. Mm. And now, before we leave, some spooky-ooky stories about why you can't use a Ouija board because, like, even though I don't, like, really believe in this stuff, I do. (laughs) Even though you don't believe in it, just in case it is, you're scared of it. Yeah, (laughs) like, don't do it. It's not fun for you. Not good for you, hon. So we'll start off with our first tale, which comes from a woman named Cindy. So Cindy was 13, and 
was living in a large, devout Christian family where she was the middle child. And she was in a mountainous area in northern Maine. She had three older sisters, a younger sister and a younger brother. And at some point during the ninth grade, a friend of hers decided to let her borrow her Ouija board. And so that weekend, Cindy and her older sisters would play with the board. You know, it was kind of like a very... <laughs> it was very much so like a... Uh, you stay up late at up at night and you hide it from mom and dad. And it's just like yeah. a secret, rebellious, fun thing. Because, of course, their parents, being the good Christians that they are, would never, ever approve of this. But it was during one of these weekends where she was talking to the board that Sydney, you know, became memorized and even a little obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And soon she would take the board by herself and start talking to it and asking all of the questions that she had about life and whatnot. Cindy would have an hour every day after school where she was alone in the house before anyone had to be there. So that would be her time where she would like go and mess with the board. And one of the times that she was messing with this board, the planchette starts to move and it starts to spell out H-I. Hi. And so Cindy's kind of like freaking out. She's like, oh my god, something's actually happening. So she goes, hi. What if it was like hi with three eyes? Right. Hi. Hi, winky face. (laughs) So she goes, who are you? And the name, uh, the board would spell out J-A-K-E. And this really shocked Cindy because Cindy actually had a friend named Jake who had died in a car accident in the fourth grade. Oh, my God. So Cindy is freaking out. She goes, oh, my God, Jake, is that really you? Like, I can't. How are you, man? Like, how the hell have you been? Like, you'll never believe what happened the summer after you die. Yeah. <laughs> and so the spirit, you know, confirms, yeah, it's me, Jake. Like, it's fucking crazy, man. What the hell? I'm like, yeah, I've been good. <laughs> and so, you know, Cindy starts to have a conversation with Jake all the time. You know, every day she would talk to him. That hour that she would have, she would just use to communicate. And, you know, this would go on for a few days and the days turned into weeks. But what she started to notice over the course of a few days was that, you know, the more that she had talked to him, kind of the angrier and the darker the conversations with Jake seemed to get. And by the second week that she had been talking to Jake, Cindy was starting to get uh, Cindy was starting to get the impression that this person was not even Jake at all. Right. Well, am I not surprised? Mm-hmm. So by the end of the second week, her fears would be confirmed when this entity actually reveal- revealed itself as a demon and threatened Cindy that if she had told anyone about her- their conversations, the demon would kill her. That Friday night when the sisters and family had gotten home after that hour was up, they would find Cindy curled up in a corner, crying, bawling, fucking upset. Cindy, Cindy, Cindy. It would take a week in a mental health facility before Cindy would be able to recover from the emotional damage that happened from that experience. My God, so young. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't fucking mess with these things, bro. Unless maybe you want to 
find out a really fucked up prediction like our girl Angela finds out. Oh. So Angela is Angela Jackson and she is a single mother of two. Now she's like us, you know, she's interested in fucking anything paranormal, anything spooky, and she always had wanted to use a Ouija board. You know, she had a father who had died 20 years prior. And though her father had begged her not to use the board, you know, warning her nothing good is going to come from this. She, I guess, wanted to speak to him more. So she was like, no, I'm going to give this a shot. Always listen to your parents. Yeah. (laughs) So one night at a neighbor's house, they... Either she brought the Ouija board or they found it. But either way, they began fooling around with it. And when they were asking who the board had wanted to talk to between the two of them, the board would reply, Angela. Following that, the board would spell out, die, bitch. (gasps) Angela told her friends that she did not think that this was funny because she... You know, you're playing with friends and something like that happens. You're like, okay. It's you guys, you know, stop. You're you're clearly (laughs) fucking pushing it. Like, that's not a funny joke. You need to cut it out. And I'm going to leave. Like, I'm not going to sit here and play with this. Like, ha ha. I'm so glad you got a good laugh out of it. Like, I'm just going to go home. Yeah. Yeah. And that very next evening while walking home, she heard a voice behind her say, die, bitch. (gasps) When she turned around, she spotted a man behind her carrying a claw hammer, and he proceeded to hit her with it. (gasps) Holy shit. Luckily, a stranger saw and intervened, and Angela managed to survive. Holy shit. Though the hit gave her a fractured skull. Ugh. Holy crap. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, thank you. It's invasive. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Oh, that would haunt me for the rest of my life. Haunt me for the rest of my life. Like, was someone in her friend group knew, like, that they wanted to do that? And then they fucking, oh my god. Right, I don't know. It's like, who, did they ever catch, oh. Okay. My last story comes from our girl Pam. So Pam was also brought up in a really religious family and she thought that she had a pretty stable life until her mother had begun using a Ouija board. Hmm. Now, Pam had been away from home for a few weeks. It doesn't really specify why. But when she returned, she noticed like this really awful change in her mother. Hmm. Her quiet, pleasant mother was now fucking scary as shit Uh (laughs) pam was trying to fall asleep one night and has like this really distinct feeling that she's being watched and shortly after that her she sees like her mom in the fucking room watching her like from the fucking corner (sighs) (sighs) pam would then like later on complain like saying you're being scary (laughs) and i really hope that you know like god is watching over me and protecting us her mother laughs and says something's protecting you 
but it's not God. <gasps> uh, later that night, Pam hears some stuff, like a little party going on downstairs. So Pam decides to go down and see what the fuck's up. Don't ever do that. Mm. Oh, no. In Pam's words, I looked at the clock and it was one in the morning. So I got up and went downstairs. I peeked around the corner and the plastic piece on the board was going by itself. Several different voices of men and women were coming out of my mom. (gasps) And the plastic piece on the board, she's like referring to the Ouija board. Oh, no, 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 no. And the voices coming out of her mom. No. Pam would eventually find the mother's Ouija board and burn it. Mm-hmm. But that would, of course, not fucking stop the mom. She would just buy another board, go at it again, and this would be like the process that they would go through for years. Damn. <laughs> Until Pam's mom died. When the Ouija board suddenly was just vanished from the house. And, like, she could not find it. Oh. And to this day, Pam still reports that she feels like she is being haunted by whatever it is that her mother had summoned. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, guys, that's why we don't fucking mess with Ouija boards. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Oh, my God. Nope. Well, thank you, Kristen. Yep. Nope. You're welcome. <laughs> like, to crawl in a hole and never look at letters again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, for my Halloween special story, I will be talking about the story of Christopher Case. Mm-hmm. Such a good one. Yes, I uh, pulled a page out of Kristen's book and, um, well, yeah, I got this idea from Mr. Ballin on YouTube. Shout out, Mr. Ballin. <laughs> Love you. So um, it involves, you know, a witchcraft, demon action, so pretty spooky. So we're going to start off on April 18th, and, you know, in my research, there were some conflicting dates, so... I'm going off of what seemed right to me. Uh, Anyways, April 18th, 1991, police arrive at the home of Christopher or Chris Case to do a welfare check of sorts. Chris's friends had called the police to check on him because they were worried about him and, you know, just generally concerned for his safety because he had been acting a little strange lately. Uh, So police enter the home and they're making their way through the apartment when they come across the body of Chris Case in his bathroom. Chris was kneeled in the bathtub uh, with his head against the wall, kind of like leaned up against the wall. Mm -hmm. And his hands were like propped up against his chest in like a prayer position. Mm -hmm. So it like was just kind of extra creepy. There wasn't any evidence of foul play, and the coroner determined acute myocarditis, which is like heart failure or a heart attack, uh, was the cause of death. How old was he again? Um, I haven't said it yet, sorry. He's 35. Um, I was was about to say it, but yeah. Um, 
but with uh, further inspection, it was implied that Chris's death wasn't as simple than that. Basically, his friends and family were like, no, he didn't just die of a heart attack. Um, So after finding out the manner of Chris's death, his friends told police, like, yo, if you knew what what Chris was experiencing the week leading up to his death, you would agree that there's more to this than just, like, a heart attack. (sighs) So... Uh, Chris was 35 years old at this time and living in Seattle when he passed away. He was kind of living his best life, you know. He was single and working in the music industry as an executive. Um, Music was his passion and, you know, it was kind of his priority. He loved to chill at home and listen to his favorite style of music, which was ancient Egyptian music. Oh, well, that is a new one. (laughs) Yeah, I heard that and I was like... He traveled all the time for work, and um, like I mentioned, his career was his priority. He wasn't super interested in dating or, uh, you know, doing anything else besides music. He, (laughs) He preferred to be alone and listening to his music. So that good old ancient Egyptian tune. Yeah, I wonder what that sounds like. like the, the music, the snake charmer music. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris was personable. You know, people seemed to like him. He was really close with his family, and he had a good amount of friends. Um, and his friends and family were, of course, always trying to set him up on a date. Um, but he just like was never into it. Ish. you're recording buddy he was also known to be in pretty good shape and was a healthy dude and he took that stuff seriously Hmm. he took his vitamins every day and he went to the gym almost every day if not every day Um, so you know just a 35 year old dude living his best life Uh, until it gets fucking weird. So, <laughs> life tends to do that. On April 11th, uh, 1991, Chris is with a few. O- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I too was experiencing that. <laughs> Chris was with a few co workers on a business trip in San Francisco. And, um,. They may, you know, I don't know how long they were there. They were probably there a few days or something, but they go out to dinner. It's their last night there, and uh, someone, like one of his coworkers that he's with, had a friend there in San Francisco, so they invite their friend out to dinner, and um, this friend was a woman who lived in the neighborhood that they were in, kind of. She was about 20 years older than Chris, you know, oh. a little older. She was described as very attractive, very, like, intense-looking, kind Mm -hmm. of. She would take a liking to Chris, you could say, and he would kind of show some interest in her as well because they ended up having quite a few things in common. Like, I don't really go through them, but the main one and the, like, not really funny one, but interesting one is that, you know, she admitted to Chris... Uh, she loves music from ancient times. What the 
fuck. I, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> really? Especially ancient Egyptian music. So You have to be, I'd be like, who's your favorite band? Yeah. You know? You're and, fucking kidding me. I know. So Chris was like, whoa, <laughs> what are the, the odds? That is a really small odd. I will fucking yeah. tell you that. Uh, uh, he really wasn't looking for anything from her romantically, but they do end up spending most of that night chatting. Uh, he saw her strictly in a platonic way, but kind of as the night went on, he noticed that she was showing interest in more of a romantic way. Mm. And towards the end of the night, she actually invites Chris back to her place. To, you know, just continue what to they're doing. And although he enjoyed chatting with her, he wasn't into her like that. And it was his last night there in San Francisco. So I'm sure he probably just like wanted to go get some rest. Who knows? Um, so he was he was like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. The woman grew a little more pushy. You know, she's saying, oh, we can just hang out and talk more. We can listen to music. Okay, dude. Mm. Uh, but Chris... No means no. Right? Chris respectfully declines. He stands up from wherever they were and leaves. Or he start he starts to leave when the woman goes from nice and flirty to really aggressive and she abruptly says, I'm actually a witch and I'm going to put a curse on you. What the fuck? Okay, but if you were a guy and you did that, like, <laughs> double standard. Right? And then she says, you're going to be dead within the week. Bitch, because you didn't want to. And who knows what she would have done with him at her house. I know, like, sacrifice like those, him? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, one of those fucking spiders that eats the Ooh. partners after they're done with them. Oh. I wonder, like, because obviously, like, we're not trying to shit talk witches because, like, witches are not like this. This is why I'm, like, so taken aback. It's right. like, uh, I guess there's dark witches, but, like, damn, what the fuck were you <laughs> no doing? No comment on that one. To uh... actually, like, make that happen? Mm-mm. Right, and we, we don't know, we don't find out what this lady's intentions were and why she cursed Chris so I really want to know like I know like I don't know if it's because she felt rejected and she was doing it out of pettiness or if she had a deeper reason for wanting him to like come home and she was just pissed either way who knows I wish someone cared enough to like track down that woman and (laughs) interview her uh, so after she says this to Chris, you know, as I said, he was standing up, like trying to leave. So he's probably standing there. And he just looks at her and he's like, okay. And he leaves. <laughs> so good for him. Because you don't actually, that's like. It's not like going to change his mind. Like, oh yeah, never mind. I'll go back that's to your place with you. That's when the people in high school would like bark at you in the hallways. You're just like, okay. Chris comes back home to Seattle from his work trip that next morning on April 12th. And he calls his friend Sammy. Um, she lives or lived on the East Coast. Uh, he used to live there. So um, he just calls her to, you know, tell her about the weird witch lady and about his encounter, kind of. They're they're laughing it off, you know, not taking the curse seriously mm-hmm. and just kind of, uh, yeah, laughing it off. And so Chris goes about his life for the next 24 hours. When he gets back... Be- into bed the night of April 13th, he starts to hear whispering noises. 
Fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's like, no, that's top fear. Like, under losing my mind. Well, that's... In, it makes you feel like you're that losing your mind. It is in the category of losing my mind, yeah. And what's worse is that he couldn't pinpoint where they were coming from. Fuck no. Every time, you know, he heard the whispering noises, so he got up out of bed to go, like, check it out. He literally thought maybe someone is in his house. So every time he felt like he came close to where the whispering noise was, it would stop. And then it would start from somewhere else. Oh, I can't. Like... Because if that actually was happening to you, yeah. yeah. That's, like, my biggest fear in life is yeah. I lose my mind. Because that's, like, you have no control over that shit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so he lives in an apartment. It's not, like, huge. So he's kind of just looking around. Uh, yeah. Fuck that's no. why this like, story... Like, stay in bed. <laughs> that's why this story fucks me up so hard is because it's, like, you're literally... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and then... Fear unlocked. When he's, you know, looking around for wherever this whispering noise is coming from, he sees a shadow figure, like, dart across the room in his, like, peripherals. But not even just his peripherals. He, like, saw it. It just happened kind of abruptly. Bro, that was me with your fucking spritzer across the room. (laughs) I thought I saw a fucking spirit and my soul levitated out of my body. Right. I died. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Mm Mm-hmm. Fuck, man, but that's an actual demon. <laughs> that's not air pressure. Right. That's a demon. Uh, yeah, this startled Chris a little bit. He he started thinking to himself, like, maybe I'm dreaming. Maybe something got slipped in my drink the night before. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was kind of, like, listing off reasonable explanations for this stuff happening. And I guess maybe he... Um, I know he didn't get much sleep that night. I don't know if he went to bed for a little bit. But basically, that next morning, April 14th, uh, he calls his friend Sammy again. He's super freaked out. And Sam would confirm this later when uh, she would speak to the police. Uh, She wondered why he would be so freaked out by noises in his apartment. Because usually he was um, a skeptic. You know, he was a no-bullshit kind of guy. Pretty straightforward. And But she heard how afraid he was in his voice. So she knew, like, whatever was happening, he he thought, like, he knew it to be, like, real. It wasn't something that he was just imagining. Right. At least in his mind. Yeah. And, but he even... Or, like, in, making up. Part of the reason why he was so freaked out is that he he knew he heard these whispers. He saw this shadow thing, but he looked throughout his whole apartment and nothing was there. He knew no one was there. Yeah, coming from the point of someone who their whole life has tried to be so logical and like this does not exist to be thrown into a situation that one, you didn't ask for and two, you're coming to a realization that maybe everything that you have thought to be true in life is False. fucking not. Yeah. Like, that is a big, shattering, like, uh, it's glass a wake moment. up yeah. fucking call. <laughs> I'm just like, damn. Because, yeah, whenever I get abducted by an alien, I'm, am I going to be like, shit, you know? I've been waiting for this day. Or am I going to be like, no. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> no. Brain not unlocking that. It's yeah. going to forever just, nah. Big fat no. Right. And, obviously, he didn't want to call the police or anything to report a shadow figure in his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they kind of just um, talk about it. And then the night of the 14th, 
Chris is going to sleep when he starts to hear whispering noises again. Nope. He immediately is like, what the fuck? He gets up to go check it out. He's like, I'm not having this again. Remember, he didn't get much sleep the night before. So he's searching around his apartment for the shadow figure. He sees it, and then he even sees the shadow figure more clearly this time since he had only seen it abruptly the night before. Mm -hmm. So this time he sees a more clear silhouette of a person in the shadow figure. So, you know, it could have been his fears or his mind kind of manifesting this. You never know. He also didn't sleep the night before. So he thought maybe, like, I'm seeing shit because I'm delirious. delusional, yeah. Who knows? But regardless, he starts to spiral. The whispering shadow is driving him nuts. And unfortunately, it just, it gets worse. On April 15th, the next day, he calls a few other of his friends that uh, remained anonymous you know, other than Sammy, uh, just to kind of tell them what was going on, um, just to vent and kind of get their input, I guess, on the situation. Um, You know, he he would tell them about this witch lady he met, but also, like, this stuff that he can't explain is happening. And what, like I mentioned, whatever was happening, real or not, Chris believed it was real. And so he was truly terrified. Um... So the night of the 15th, he gets in bed, and you know, he hasn't slept hardly any for two nights now. Mm. He's determined to get some rest this night. He does actually fall asleep with, like, no problems, but then he's awakened in the middle of the night, and he can't move. (gasps) So he's, you know, obviously experiencing sleep paralysis for sure because he's awake, but he can't move. And then he starts to hear the whispers. And this brought Chris back to feeling overwhelmingly terrified. Just, like, not the whispers, you know? Yeah. He hears the whispers coming from outside of his bedroom door, and then they stop. And then the whispers start to come from inside of his bedroom closet. Fuck that (laughs) noise. I'm just looking at your closet. Like, please don't start whispering. And then they stop. And then he starts to hear the whispers coming from under his bed. He still can't move. He's paralyzed. I would just close my eyes and pretend to be asleep. Yeah, same. Same. <laughs> like, what do you know? What do you mean? Oh, my God. I because can't. all he can move at this point are his eyes and his eyeballs. I would keep those eyes closed, baby. Keep them closed. Pretend to be dead. Like, hold your breath until you just make right? yourself pass the fuck out. He's literally laying there just praying and hoping that something bad isn't about to happen. When Ugh. suddenly, out from under his bed the shadow figure appears right next to him. Where the fuck are you looking? I know. He sees it gradually grow taller and taller until it's like standing and hovering over him. So he looks up at this shadow figure hovering over him, glaring down at him. Chris was probably crying on the inside. I know I would have been. for sure. The shadow figure then grabs Chris by the neck, starts to strangle him. What the fuck? Chris can't breathe. He is struggling. Mind you, he still can't move. Still paralyzed. The shadow proceeds to lift Chris up out of his bed by his neck. What the fuck? 
and then throw him down on the floor. Chris lands on the floor and the shadow figure disappears. Chris still can't move. (laughs) He's struggling to regain his breath after being strangled. He thinks he's dying for sure. Yeah. He somehow, like, he probably his mind was racing from after all of that happening. Somehow he kind of crashes from his fear and the adrenaline and he just falls asleep there on the floor. (gasps) Honestly, when my one sleep paralysis experience, I did fall asleep right afterwards. Same. So, yeah. So he wakes up that next morning. Uh, He can move. So he gets up and he notices that there's blood on his sheets. (gasps) He looks down at his hands and he sees little cuts on the tips of each of his fingers. What the fuck? So there's like precise a precise cut on each finger. So ten cuts, one on each tip of of his finger. I would do a fucking like shaman at that point. Yeah, and he's like, okay, I know I didn't give myself these ten yeah, cuts. What the fuck? And his neck feels super tender. It's bruised, and so this all reassured him that what he experienced the night before it's was real. real. Oh my god, I'm dying. I'm actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually happening just did an amazing episode over a sleep paralysis experience and oh my god so just hearing this because it literally confirmed that like a demon was over there so then this also confirms that the demon's over there and now i just don't want to live anymore in this world i've had two sleep paralysis experiences paralysis experiences and one of them I heard whispers, but it was my mom's voice. One was my fucking cat. And I mean, she was home. She was asleep, like in in her room. But I woke up to her whispering (gasps) in my ear, except she wasn't there. Hell no. It was just her voice. Hell no. Hell no. Nope. And I I felt like, I I feel like if I tried to move, I couldn't, but I knew what was happening. I was laying on my back like I never did. And I didn't even try to move. I just shut my eyes and I, I went back to sleep. Yep. I was afraid. Exactly. I like I was like, you know what? Nope. Because if, I... if anything, I thought it was like someone pretending to be my mom. Ugh. You know? That's terrifying. That's fucking terrifying, man. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. So uh, Chris calls Sammy again um, to, you know, try and describe what happened. He's still in shock. He's petrified. He couldn't believe what happened, really. And there wasn't a whole lot Sammy could do besides listen to Chris, kind of console him. She felt kind of helpless, you know, not being there and able to, like, physically do anything. She does try and convince to convince Chris to call the police. Of course, Chris, again, is like, no, like, what am I going to tell them? I have cuts on my fingers, bruises on my neck, but no one besides a shadow figure was in my home. You know, he doesn't want to report a shadow figure. Yeah. He's going to just, no one's going to believe him. He's going to be called crazy. So Chris decides to tackle this shadow head on. He asks himself, what if the lady he met in San Francisco really did curse me? Yeah. So he starts to do a little research. There was a religious bookstore near his house, kind of like down the road a little bit. So he thought they would have books on stuff like demonic possession witchcraft the occult Mm -hmm. 
he goes to the bookstore and he asks the owner, you know, he <laughs> kind of walks up to him maybe in an, an awkward way and is like, hey. He's probably like eyes sunken <laughs> in, like I know, looks like, real beat hasn't up. gotten any <laughs> sleep. And he's just like, hey, do you have anything on demonic possession or witchcraft and how to protect yourself from those? And the owner just kind of points Chris to a section of books and he ends up buying a good amount of books and like on all those topics and like 10 crucifixes, which, you know, like just crosses or whatever. Yeah. He goes home, he hangs all of his crucifixes, he draws a line of salt along all of his baseboards in his home. Yeah. And in the corners, he puts little piles of salt. He was taking appropriate precautions to protect himself, you could say. He was, like, really, obviously... The salt one is very good. That's one, like, I always... (laughs) I always say, (laughs) Supernatural always uses salt. Yeah. Um, Well, it really didn't help him, unfortunately, so... maybe Sam and Dean, where were you? I know. (sighs) The night of the 16th... Uh, We really don't know what happened, but something scared Chris shitless, making him run out of his apartment in the middle of the night. He checked into a hotel and didn't go back home that night. I wonder what it was. I know. We don't know. I really wonder what it was. Sammy calls Chris that next morning on the 17th to check in with him. You know, see how he's doing. Uh, she knows he's struggling, so. <laughs> Good friend. And remember, it's the 90s, uh, early 90s, so she calls his landline. He doesn't answer because he's at the hotel still, mm-hmm. but she didn't know that. When Sammy can't get a hold of Chris, she gets pretty worried because her and uh, Chris's other friends that he had been talking to throughout that week were already pretty concerned about Chris and his state of mind. Yeah. So Sammy calls the calls the police for them to do a welfare check on chris shit the police go to his apartment but his door was locked and everything was you know kind of dark seemed quiet uh so the police are like okay there's not much we can do um they tell sammy if you don't hear from him in a couple of days let us know and we can check back in with him or whatever try to sammy's pretty concerned at this point and again feeling kind of helpless Yeah, because what the fuck? We should be able to do a little more than that. Right. She goes to work that day on the 17th, and when she gets home, she has a voicemail from Chris. So she's relieved to see that he called her, but the voicemail was pretty concerning. She immediately noticed that the tone in Chris's voice had shifted from scared and freaked out to straight up, like, defeated. Chris says in his message, basically, that he's under attack and that tonight, they are going to kill him. After hearing this, Sammy tries to call Chris back, but he doesn't answer. She contemplates what to do. You know, she had just talked with the police, and they went to Chris's apartment. So because of this, she felt like if she called them again, they would tell her to just wait a few more days because he had gotten in touch with her. So she goes to bed, and she decides she'll call Chris that next morning. No. Like, I know, I know you can't be mad, but... Uh, I know. Like, damn, I really want... I, I just wonder what would have happened if he would have been, like, in a room with someone. Would he still have died? Right. 
like stay with a friend or so something. I don't know. I've done answered with this one. Ugh. The mor- that next morning, the morning of the 18th, Chris doesn't show up to work. Yeah. Sammy was going to call Chris that morning anyways, but word gets to her that he didn't show up for work. And so she's like, okay, what the fuck? So she calls him and he doesn't answer. She calls the police again and is like, hey, I know you went to Chris's yesterday, but we are really concerned about him. You know, he didn't show up for work. Will you please go back and check on him? Yeah. So the police return to Chris's apartment. The front door is unlocked, and so they gain entry. When they see what's inside, they're just kind of, like, maybe weirded out. It was just a little strange. So they see all of the crucifixes hanging on the walls. They see the salt that was running along the floorboards and the baseboards. Yeah, (laughs) like, damn, this guy's crazy. There were candles everywhere that were like burnt down to the wick i don't know why i got goosebumps (laughs) there were also pieces of paper all over the apartment that had handwritten notes from chris basically messages warding off demons and spirits police make their way through the house calling out for chris when they come to the bathroom where they discover chris's body As I mentioned at the beginning, Chris was kneeling in the bathtub with his head against the wall, and his whole body was kind of leaning against the wall with his hands propped up against his chest, almost like he was praying. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any water in the tub, and he was fully clothed. Uh, There were also a bunch of burnt-down candles all around the bathtub. Uh, There were more crucifixes and weird relics in the bathroom. And I wish I knew what weird relics they were, uh, oh. but I didn't get that far. And also, as I mentioned, it was determined that Chris died of natural causes, uh, you know, heart attack, heart failure. His friends and family didn't buy it. So a week ago, Chris was a successful, a happy and healthy 35-year-old. And over the past seven days, he spiraled and basically lost it. And no one truly knew why. Uh, very well could have been related to a psychotic, but you know, like a heart attack or heart failure From related all the to stress that he's had related yeah. to a psychotic break or episode of some sort. Um, or it could be because he was cursed. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably what I'm thinking. Honestly, after hearing that, the lady in San Francisco told him he'd die within the week. What the fuck, bro? All because he said no to you, mm. like. That's just, man, she's a bad apple. Yeah. To this day, Chris's friends, family, and investigators on his case are just kind of baffled by the circumstances surrounding his death. And it really has been left up to, you know, the on record and what has been determined has remained the same. But in to the family, to the friends, to, you know, us who are rereading this case it's really kind of up for speculation on what we think happened with him you know was he cursed was he not oh my god Um, i don't know i just um i would say he had to have been i thought i got cursed in las vegas one time i was walking uh on the strip and this girl was dressed in all black and it was all kind of like raggedy. Mm-hmm. She was carrying like a 
really thick book and was like clutching it tight to her chest and looking down at the sidewalk and like mumbling and whispering to herself and when I walked by she like looked at me hardcore (gasps) as she continued to whisper maybe she was just trying to get that reaction out of people yeah maybe people are crazy like that you know back then I was like cool (laughs) I'm gonna die within a week so if anyone says that they're a witch um you know you just gotta throw consent out the windows what I'm learning from this story. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to fucking die. Yeah, just do what they say, I guess. Yep. (laughs) Either that or uh, you can try better methods than our homeboy. What's his name? Chris. Chris, yes. Yes, Christopher Case. Rest in peace. Um, So a little witchcraft action for you guys. Good story. Yes, thank you for recommending it to me. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Ballin, for, you know, giving it to us originally. So, yeah, it's a fucking great story. Always creeps the shit out of me because, you know, what really fucking killed him? Yeah, and just, like, we'll never know, probably. So never going to find out, but, you know, throw us your ideas. Yep. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, cheers to Halloween, and you guys will see what we're dressing up as. Yes, go (laughs) follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you want to see our Halloween costumes. At R-A-R-W podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you can follow us on the other stuff. I don't have to name it. (laughs) And uh, be sure to send us an email if you're feeling lonely. Red rum and red wine podcast at gmail.com. And have a great and safe Halloween, guys. Don't drink and drive. Don't take rides from strangers. Stay with your best friends. If you see something, say something. <laughs> um, drink some water. And cover your drinks. Stay warm. And don't eat too much candy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are we going to do that we shouldn't do? That I shouldn't do? <laughs> like, hmm. uh, Mine is drink water. Yeah, same. Yep. We'll stay hydrated, guys. And until next time. Bye. Bye.